Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Purple Podcast. Courtney Cronin driving the ship today, second time in a row. I'm actually really proud of this. Joining me, ESPN 1500's Matthew Collar, who is Kirk Cousins out, just as the rest of us are. It's been a long week, free agency. I feel like I've seen you more in this last little stretch of the off season than I have since the end of uh, the end of the Super Bowl week. So. That's been cool, I guess. We have spent quite a bit of time out at the TCO Performance Center. I am drinking, and Matt called me, so this is a conflict of interest. I'm drinking out of my TCO PC cup that the Vikings gave us on our tour. I'm a sucker for a good mug. The 49ers gave our Christmas gift two years ago was this Yeti cooler, those little mugs. You know how expensive those are? If you went out and bought one of those on your own, that's $45. And I got made fun of, I believe, by you last year for walking around the Vikings facility with that mug. And now I have my Vikings mug. So so what you're saying is you could be bought by mugs. I wouldn't say bought. I wouldn't say even swayed to write a certain piece of content off that. I'm saying if you give me a mug, I'm going to use it. I'm saying that it's obvious your bias already in the first minute and 14 seconds of this podcast that you've changed the way you look at the team because of this mug. Oh, my gosh. Is this a really good mug? Great straw. I love how you said I was biased, not biased. biased. That's always my favorite thing on Twitter when people want to come at you and say, you're so biased, Courtney. Where's the ED? Please make it a verb. Also, maybe they're right. And maybe they sensed something. Mm hmm. Anyway, so you're basically going to tell me that they're going to win the Super Bowl now because you got this mug? Super Bowl or bust only because of the mug, not because of the 30-ish million plus that they spent last week on both Kirk Cousins and Sheldon Richardson. As we said, we're kind of cousins out, so we can talk about that, but I really want to get into the impact of Sheldon Richardson signing, um, you know, after the high of Thursday and, you know, they still went right to work right after that restructuring Latavius Murray's deal that evening and then getting right into the thick of things on Friday. Sheldon Richardson still in town was rumored to be with somebody else at that dinner at Manny's was not Tyron Matthew, as we found out. Um, but they get this signing. And the thing that I find so interesting is the type of deal to where Sheldon Richardson is right now, 26, 27. 
This is his third team since he was drafted in the first round a couple years back by the Jets. It's a one-year prove-it deal. That's, I think, a very bottom-line thing. Rick Spielman said it was his idea. Why did he do it? He said, well, it's the best, you know, whatever he said, it's the best fit for me right now, or it was the best option. What did you take away from just the sense that, okay, you usually somebody in their prime, at least where he's at right now as one of the best interior defensive linemen, they're going to want that long-term deal. Why, why did he do it this way? Uh, I think Sheldon Richardson believes in analytics. That's why. That he may have looked at his own season last year, I'm not kidding, and said, you know what? I got a ton of pressures, but I didn't get a ton of sacks. If I do that again, if I perform similarly on a team with this good of a defensive line, I'm going to end up with more sacks than this. He's not a 20-sack guy or Mm -hmm. even double-digit sack guy, but with only one, it's probably hard to land a huge contract, maybe as much money as he wants. And also, there's still the clouds of what happened with the New York Jets, Mm -hmm. that he's coming off a time in his career where maybe his effort was questioned a little bit, and especially the off-season stuff or off-the-field stuff with driving 120 miles an hour with a gun in the car and so forth. I mean, that's really going to hurt your value for a long-term contract that any team is going to say, well, yeah, we'd love to pay you, but it wasn't too long ago that your team traded you in part because of these things. But if he can look back and say, okay, in Seattle, I was really good and I put up a ton of pressures and I stayed out of trouble. And then I went to Minnesota and we went to the NFC championship game. And I was a huge part of that. And I got six sacks or seven sacks instead of one. Then you're looking at someone saying, all right, we can trust in this guy and we can give him a huge contract. I don't see any chance that that's with the Minnesota Vikings. I think this is a pure one-year rental, try to win the Super Bowl this year with Sheldon Richardson and a stacked-up defensive line, and then you're moving on to some other option at that position. But it's really a perfect relationship because the Vikings can't afford to give him a monster multi-year deal, and he doesn't want one. And they might not be able to afford to do it next year and beyond that is what you're getting to, obviously, with the limited cap space 2019 becoming a serious Um, question mark as to what they're able to do. But I did find it interesting. I mean, he apologized to his agent in the press conference, Ben Dogra, who Vikings fans will remember uh, from a few years ago, got into a shouting match with uh, Vikings cap guy Rob Brzezinski at the Combine over Adrian Peterson. So I'm sure negotiations weren't contentious or heated or anything inside the beautiful new facility in Egan. Notice I'm plugging everything because of my mug that I'm currently drinking out of. Um, But I find that interesting. He's like, look, you know, I put him in a tough spot. I didn't get I didn't get back there enough. I didn't get to the quarterback enough, but it's almost kind of the, to the contrary because Mike Zimmer, when he introduced him, wasn't, you know, wasn't as great as a Kirk Cousins, good in the boots, you know, talking about play action fakes that you and I are looking at each other in the press conference, trying not to laugh because it's so football guy. It's awesome. But he, that one figure, he mentioned he didn't have a lot of sacks. And that's something that as the season wore on last year, when you're talking about, you know, where does Daniil Hunter's sack numbers, Everson Griffin with the, with the sack streak, Zimmer really st- 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 stood back from that and said, you know, that's, that's not everything. And I think that even with the interior pass rush, the state it was in last year and how important it would be going forward this year to get those numbers – he affects the game so many other ways by that push that he can make from the middle of the defensive line that 
might be even more important than those numbers. And it speaks to something that is statistically backed, and it's kind of obvious, but anytime a quarterback is under pressure, is hurried, or is hit, their quarterback rating is going down by quite a bit. I mean, Pro Football Focus did a study on this to see just how much, but you basically would be going from when quarterbacks are clean, you'd be going from them looking like Tom Brady to when they're pressured, them looking like Trevor Simeon. And uh, that's kind of how big the numbers gap is between quarterbacks have a rating over 100 when no one is near them. And this goes for Kirk Cousins, too. But when they get pressured, it drops, I believe, below 80 league wide for an average, which is uh, really an amazing difference between the two. So if you have a guy that's even disrupting the, the, the passer just by hurrying him, I think it was 27 pro football focus had a lot of different sites have different numbers and what, how they define a hurry. 28 hurries and seven quarterback hits from yeah. pro football focus okay. numbers. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty darn good for what he did. And he had the best rate of that of any free agent, a better rate than Tom Johnson, who was very good in that role. And the fact that he can also stuff the run too, that he can play in any situation is a huge bonus because mm -hmm. last year they were trying to kind of work Shamar Stefan in as much as possible. Tom Johnson was a serviceable run stuffer, but he wasn't above average. So now you're talking about one of the best players in the league at that position and a completely dominant player. Now there really isn't any question that this defensive line is top three in the NFL. I thought it was last year, oh, yeah. but now they've got a case for number one, unless and Dominican mm -hmm. Sue signs with the Rams. Yeah, and I mean, I think that they're automatically in this conversation with Jacksonville and with Philadelphia, and for sure, the most star-studded line that they have had personally since those mid-2000s years with the Williams Wall mm -hmm. and Jared, Jared Allen, and it makes sense why they jumped into that conversation and why this was such a pricey but critical piece for them. Take a look at what he does, you know, in that transition year that he had, going from the Jets three four, um, with Todd, you know, with, under the direction of what Todd Bowles taught him there in those first four years, and the adjustment he made in Seattle with the four three defense, I think it was really pivotal because I asked him about that. With you know, why was this fit? How important was scheme to you for someone where he's at right now, ready to make that next jump? I think it's critical that he stays in a very similar style system to where. He's able to affect that game with with one of the best, you know, arguably the best nose tackle in the NFL. Can you imagine now? Are teams even going to be able to run on the Vikings? Because, you know, they, they held teams one of the one of the lowest, um, you know, yards per carry last year because they had that mauler right there in the middle who can take on double teams. What does this do for Linville Joseph now? Knowing that, you know, he's not always going. I mean, he's he's going to draw. Two men, two two defenders on him to you know a guard and a center most times. That's always going to be his thing. But he can always switch up and get upfield to get to the quarterback, like we saw him do against the Browns. That's the first thing that you know sticking out in my head right now. Um, and, and to be able to get those sack numbers for himself. But how does Richardson affect the way that Joseph plays? Because it just seems like this is going to take some pressure off him immensely. I think you're going to ask whoever the opponent's left guard is, presumably if that's the way that they're aligning themselves to take on Sheldon Richardson one-on-one, -on -one, which is a really difficult task because I don't think that any center in the NFL can handle Linval Joseph. Uh, I no, mean, as we've seen, it takes two. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. I mean, he can single-handedly drive centers back into the backfield, and the fact that Linval 
isn't just a run stuffer. He's not the old school Gilbert Brown. Uh, you remember him for the Packers, the big gigantic man, or even like a Brandon Williams from the Ravens. I mean, there are a handful of these guys who are just pure. Allen Branch was this way when the Patriots went to the Super Bowl two years ago. Just send that beefy man in there and have him take up bodies. But Joseph is a better athlete than that. So it really takes two to block him, and that's going to force other teams. Basically, if they don't have a great offensive line, they're going to struggle big time against this defensive line. Uh, something that I asked uh, our friend of the podcast, Brandon Thorne, I'm interested in your opinion too, is what Rick Spielman said after when we were talking with him about Sheldon Richardson. He wants to have more of a rotation. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's really the best idea because you have four down players across the line and behind them, Jaleel Johnson has only played in the preseason to Sean Bauer. Same thing. Steven Weatherly has been on the roster, but has barely been in the game. Unless they think some of these guys have real serious potential. I don't think that they can actually copy what the Eagles will do with Michael Bennett and Chris Having Long. eight guys that yeah. can do it. I mean, I, I think that's going to be really tough for them. I get it with what Rick was saying in terms of those third down situations, because those are a lot of times when Linville's coming off the field. And, you know, with the rotation there, I mean, that's when Brian Robeson's going in. I mean, they're, de they're definitely is a need to be able to keep that rotation because what happened the last four or five games of the season, the pass rush disappeared ever since we found out um, was injured. I would assume Mike was talking more, but when he said that at the combine, it sounds he didn't specify what that was, but I would assume that that's that plantar fasciitis because that doesn't just go away. And he battled through that all season. And he really shouldn't have been on the field when he got that injury. By exactly. The way. That was what, like the, final, the final play Yep, final in, in, play in, in London. London. Yeah. Yep. But anyways, I think that, in theory, it's a good idea. I agree with you. I think you have arguably the best defensive line in the league, but why, you know, if this team's primed to make another Super Bowl run, that's that's 20 games, potentially. I mean, they. I, I don't think that you want to wear out your pass rush to where it was so ineffective there down the stretch because there was no rotation, but I also don't know if they really felt confident in a guy like Jaleel Johnson, who was supposed to be that understudy role there behind Linville Joseph. I don't, I don't know if they felt he was ready last year. And, you know, he came out of the draft as one of the highest graded people, uh, you know, prospects at his position, and that's all fine and dandy, but... If he's not getting any real play besides the preseason where he did fairly well, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, if you can really expect him to be a big con con uh, contributor there. But, you know, this could this could really be an important offseason once we get into OTAs to see where those three are at between Bauer, Weatherly and um and Johnson, because yeah, yeah. that's, you know, it's it, Tom Johnson's era is over. Shamar Stefan era, most likely over unless something else happens here. I mean, Rick pretty much alluded to both those being kaput. So I, I think it's critical. I mean, I think that this is such a game changer that this is not, you know, we all talk about, okay, Kirk Cousins is a missing piece. Kirk Cousins is what they needed for the Super Bowl. They needed a three technique tackle. Mm -hmm. This was such an emphasis. Like Mike Zimmer, you can see him there at the combine sitting there being like, okay, I'll talk to you about your quarterbacks, but here's what I want. I want a three technique because we need to fix the pass rush because I would played Tom Johnson 70% of snaps last year and he's 33 years old and, you know, God bless him. He couldn't stop the run. Um, I just think that that's such a critical part to fix this defense because for as much as we talked about the quarterback spot being an issue this year, 
the defense was the was essentially the chink in the armor there at the end of the year. I mean, it was a big problem because this number one this number one defense was not present against the Saints in its second half and certainly not on the road in Philadelphia. I am interested to see if they add another edge rusher who might be still floating around. The situational guys, they go last. I mean, everybody gets their full-time starters, and then you have your guys who are like Shamar mm-hmm. Stefan that play 30 40% of the snaps. So there are a number of them that are still sitting out on the free agent market, and I think that the Vikings could use another three-technique defensive tackle and another edge-rushing situational player who's proven, at least. Because it's not just about being able to move those guys in and out, but also if somebody gets hurt. And last year, we didn't really see it on display much because there were so few injuries. But in 2016, we definitely did. And, and you wonder what the plan is at several different positions on defense for the depth. Cornerback, number one. Uh, I'll miss the yeah. Tremaine Brock era. Um, it's over officially. <laughs> he signed with Denver, uh, and he what played, a great he time it was! Fifty-one defensive snaps last year. I I covered Tremaine in uh, San Francisco for a little bit, so I thought it would. And he was given their cornerback issues that they had that 2016 season. I thought that this could be a good spot for him. He was in Seattle, he got traded, but the Tremaine Brock era sadly over. R.I.P. Um, he, you know, he was supposed to come in and, and compete at that slot corner role. Remember, we were talking. I remember, like, we were specifically talking to him last September, being like, "Wow, like, you know, here you go." Uh, you know, Terrence Newman out the door retiring. Don't know what they're going to get out of Mackenzie Alexander. Here's your opportunity, and you know, effectively, he was a special teams player. So, yeah. and not a good one, if I remember. No, I mean, just didn't see. He was hurt a lot too. He had that hip injury towards some point. I remember. Specifically, his name yeah. was showing up on the injury report. I don't know how he got hurt um, if he wasn't playing a whole ton, but I'm not here to judge. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you're right. I think that there is a use and a need to be able to get your situational guys. But given the space that we, we just pulled up the numbers, $20.9 million left in the sal- of the salary cap for 2018. And that's not counting the draft picks. No, right. that's not counting draft picks. And that's so you factor what, 7 million there, something like that. Um, maybe here take, but then Anthony Barr's extension, if you can do one more, that to me seems like something that they would potentially go to the draft, maybe a second or third round. What do so, you think? So real, real quick, if you go through the positions on defense, yes, is there a single position at this moment where we stand where you feel good about the depth? Because I don't. I mean, the, the, I feel like the defensive line, the starters are, holy cow, I mean, the best in the league. And linebackers, mm-hmm. solid, if not very good. Cornerbacks, especially since Trey Wayans was good. Last year, Sandejo had a good year. We know Harrison Smith had a case for NFL MVP or defensive MVP. But... And they bring back Anthony Harris. Okay. I mean, that's he's a, a special sh- teams player. Shaky role player if he's got to start, though. They have no nickel corner at the moment, just the two starters, and that's it. And they have no situational edge rushers or uh, run stuffers. So they've got some work to do here, whether that happens in the draft or not. And with Jaleel Johnson, we'll see with him. I mean, I liked what I saw last year in preseason, but. Uh, he's not proven by any means and didn't see much of the field probably for a reason. So I don't know what's going to happen with that. And that's where I think they have to add more depth or this could end up biting them if they have bad luck as opposed to the good luck that they had for last year. Now, I'm sorry, what was the question that you asked me? Well, I mean, I agree with you. I'm just going to, I mean, 
I, I do agree with you mm-hmm. that the starters, it's fine. Everything, I mean, everything's in place there. But even with the quarterback, and I'm sorry to keep bringing this back to offense, but even with the quarterback situation, what did they do right after, or really before they got Kirk Cousins? They went out and did a package deal to be able to get Trevor Simeon here because they built that quarterback room based on depth. I don't know if they have that. I think the most glaring other need for me outside of we talk about situational edge rushers and if the interior guys are are not going to pan out, I mean, that's one thing. I think that nickel corner spot is so critical that that has to be go go ahead and get an offense. You can get a plug and play offensive lineman. Get him at thirty. Don't make that. You can't afford an offensive lineman right now. And right. the, 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 cra- the crop is not the that great. At least of the second wave guys that might not be that far off from somebody you could get right away at number thirty. I think you have to take a look because of the way that corners develop. I think that this is your strategic, you know, planning to be able to get somebody in. In, in free agency still, maybe in the second or third wave. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And when you just look at some of the nickel corners out there, I think there are capable guys. The two that come to mind for me, Dominique rogers Camardi and Ross Cockrell. No Bryce Callahan? Okay, Bryce Callahan too. I, I don't know, like, he's an RFA. Are you making him an offer? Are you not? When, when do they need to do that by? But, yeah, I think sure. It's, I think it's soon that they need to, if you give him... They tender it. You have to do it soon. So right. we should know. And and so any of those guys, I think, could step in. Um, and I also think that their interest in Bryce Callahan, and I think Cockrell's name has been out there a bit, too. Mm-hmm. I have not heard them interested in Rogers Camardi, but he was fantastic for the Giants in 2016 and, and decent last year. I think it tells you two things. Number one, that they think Terrence Newman is probably done or that they don't want to bring him back at the price he's going to want, or if they do, he's more of a DB role where he's filling in somewhere or rotating in somewhere and not the guy who's playing that full-time spot. It also tells you that I think what you're looking at with Mackenzie Alexander is a guy who's not a starting corner in the NFL, that maybe he's a backup type of player, and at times he was good last year, but overall... I still didn't see massive steps forward throughout the season. I think he was just kind of serviceable when they put him in. And maybe they don't expect that from him if they're looking at all these other nickel corners. And that's going to make that same draft that Laquan Treadwell is your top pick look a little bit rough. And uh, I think Rick Spielman's going to be thankful that he got Delvin Cook and Pat Elfline the next year because the Treadwell and Alexander picks do not look like they're going to pan out. And, I mean, they thought he was such a good outside corner in college, and he really even had, I mean, because of the depth that they have at that position, he hasn't been tested that much outside. But even in, like, their nickel package, he's not very impressive. I don't, you know, we were talking about this before before we started recording. I mean, I think what's going to stand out to them this year is that Drew Brees going right past it was that third it was like third and long or it was fourth down i think it was fourth down um yeah so (laughs) that uh that that's kind of a lasting image of Mackenzie alexander and i know that that's a tough position to you know he was only in his second year last year we might maybe we'll see the trey waynes type development there going into his third season mike zimmer when we talked to him throughout the year you know was soft flashes of it but i just don't know if he's going to be a consistent starter for you there um to be able to hold down that role for the season so it would make sense for a patrick robinson or a bryce callahan um you know why those names keep popping up and maybe 
to me that that is their their next priority. I mean, you get the, the top two the top two things you had done were quarterback, and I'm kind of circling Simeon in there too, um, defensive tackle, mm-hmm. the three technique spot, and then your future at nickel corner because you know look at what this NFC North is divisions go, like look at the, what this division's going to be. It's going to be a high scoring. Um, you know, really high scoring group with, you know, arguably, I mean, three of the best quarterbacks in the league. They're going to be points. They're going to be put up a lot and they're going to be attacking those secondaries where I think that you need that rotation. Um, and if Terrence Newman isn't going to come back, I mean, if he's going to retire, maybe he'll join the coaching staff. I mean, Zimmer loves him so much that, you know, maybe, maybe we see him as an assistant DB coach next year. I think you have to have a solid backup. And that's why Bryce Callahan's such a intriguing prospect, but you just don't know if, you know, if he's going to, if the bears are going to match that tender where, wherever he gets an offer from. I think uh, Patrick Robinson did sign. Oh, he did. Yeah. With yeah. new Orleans. Oh, can't believe you missed that. Missed that in the, in the was, thick of the fog last week. There was but, no other news, so no. I don't know why you weren't uh, camped outside Patrick Robinson's house. Where does he live? Do you know? I have no clue. Does uh, he have New a, Orleans now. Does he have a mug like I have? Uh, <laughs> if not, he lost free agency. Maybe a New Orleans Saints mug because okay. that's his new team. Um, okay, so what else What else you got there? Let's talk, let's talk number three receiver and, and bidding adieu to Jarius Wright who, after six seasons, the Vikings wanted pour to... Pour out a little of your tea or whatever is water, in there. For, actually. For, okay, pour out a little water for Jarius Wright. <laughs> Could not have landed in a better spot a team that is desperate for receivers in Carolina and a guy who, you know, entering his seventh season has a lot left. I mean, he his role here was diminished, pushed down the depth chart because of Laquan Treadwell when they brought him in in 2016. And then last year, nobody was able to grab hold of that number three spot, being able to kind of make him that de facto. I mean, that was supposed to be Michael Floyd's role. He was supposed to be the vertical threat that stretches the field, who you know is blazing fast and massive. Um, and, and Jarius was supposed to be a situational role player. Basically, he was Adam Thielen's backup. So to me, this is a big loss because we don't know among the guys that they have back on the roster next year between... Treadwell, huge window, huge opportunity for him to be able to grab this spot. Stacy Coley, Caleb Jones, who's on the practice squad, who the Vikings think very highly of. Um, or they could draft somebody maybe in that third or fourth round. Um, well, they don't currently have a fourth round pick, but who knows? I mean, they've got a million seventh round picks. Maybe they can get into the fourth round in 2018. But this, to me, is going to be one of the more intriguing battles to watch going into camp. So I have lots of questions for you about this. Okay. Number one is... Why do you think that Jarius Wright over the last two years did not get any opportunity really to have a significant role with this team? Because when they threw him the ball, he caught it. He could play outside. He could especially play inside. He was open a lot. He knows the offense. He's a good wide receiver who had 76 catches between 2014 and 2015 I just could never figure this out, really. You you can't you can't pay a guy the amount that he was going to make for eighteen catches. I totally understand that, but he outperformed any of the other reserves, if you want to call it, behind Thielen and Diggs. I mean, no one else grabbed hold of the, hold of that role. Treadwell had an opportunity last year. Michael Floyd, I don't know what happened. Um, and he's obviously not. Expe- that was going to be one of my questions. <laughs> expected to be brought back, but. I also tend to think, too, I mean, given the modern era of running backs and what you got out of Dalvin Cook and what you got out of Jarius Wright, I mean, they, they were taking targets, essentially, um, from from the rest of that receiving group. And Kyle Rudolph, 
had a pretty good year, statistically speaking, one of his best years in the NFL before he got injured. I mean, they're, they spread the ball around a lot. They got guys open in space. Jarius is an excellent receiver from the slot. I just don't know if he really got as many opportunities to go outside where we haven't really seen that element of his game in the last year or so, maybe before I got here. But I just, you know, I think that... Keenum Keenum had a security blanket there on third down. When it wasn't Adam Thielen, it was Jarius Wright. And I think out of those 18 catches, 13 came on third down, something like that. They saw him as a role player. They found a role, and they pigeonholed him into it. And I think he has so much more to give and so much more to offer. And that's why this is not surprising whatsoever. Yes, they wanted to bring him back, but they knew this was going to happen because this is the business of it. When you have somebody that dynamic who was a fourth round pick was, you know, pretty fast. I think he ran what four, 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 nine, something like that at the combine in 2012. I mean, there's so much more potential to tap into his game that we haven't seen yet that maybe they were just so, I mean, we've said this before. They're so like front loaded, like top heavy Mm -hmm. uh, at that receiver spot that it hurt the rest of your depth because you just weren't able to use them that consistently. It just seems to me like with Floyd being the disaster that that was, that we talked much more about kombucha tea than we did about any sort of catches or touchdowns or throws his way, blocks, anything to do with him on the football field. He had that catch in Chicago, though, 19 yards. Yes, right after you wrote the long-form feature about him, he did make one great catch. So it was totally worth it, and thank you. You're welcome. Uh, But... Outside of that fantastic 19-yard <laughs> reception, he wasn't oh, much man. of a part of the team. And with Treadwell, he was given every opportunity. And the way I look at it is we've probably reached the point where, as Mike Zimmer said, a change of scenery is necessary for Laquan Treadwell if someone else is going to give him a chance. But I don't know who's going to trade for him. And I certainly don't think it's a good idea to just cut him and take the the cap hit with where you stand right now that you should just use him as a special teamer or whatever else it might be. Um, but we have reached kind of the, all right, moving along now from Laquan Treadwell and with Jarius, what you had there is a number three wide receiver who is good. And this doesn't have to be a team that plays three wide receivers all the time. They play a lot of two tight ends, run play action out of that, and had a lot of success with that under Shermer. I just think when you have a good NFL player, I know he's not great, but when you have a good NFL player, even if you're paying him a little too much, it's better to have him still than it is to say, well, we'll just draft a guy and plug him in because you've seen how many question marks come along with any guy you draft, even if he's in the first round. So I didn't love the move to release Jarius and then to expect him to resign. It's just, come on, he's not going to do that. After the way that he's been treated here, I wouldn't be surprised. And this is my other question for you. If he ca- caught 50 balls for Carolina. I yeah, mean, I mean, with can- with that offense and with the amount of, you know, him and Christian McCaffrey, I think that's going to be really fun considering how they use McCaffrey in that offense. We will see like, with Norv, but yes. Jarius, lo- I mean, the- Jarius and Norv, though, had such a great mm-hmm. relationship when he was here and he used him properly. It was kind of after that that we saw the decline. Right. Um, and it b- was no fault of his own. And I agree with you on that, that... This is the one that stings. If you're if you're taking a look as a Vikings fan of, you know, all the moves in free agency once this thing kind of wraps up in maybe, you know, a week or two, um, they still got other players that they need to re-sign. But 
they they took a risk there um, in letting Jarius Wright go. I think. I mean, it is the business of this. I mean, they they got Sheldon Richardson to a one year, I believe, eight million dollar somewhere around their deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Three they, million in incentives. Yes, uh, and then they restructured Latavius Murray before that. Obviously, he was asked to take a pay cut, Jarius, that is, and, and wasn't going to do it. So, you know, to ask him to come back for what, a million dollars or something like that, that's kind of disrespectful in a way, like for a guy who has done nothing but what you've asked of him. And I get that, you know, this is a business. You can't have feelings in this. But I can understand why he wouldn't, why he he and his agent probably immediately started shopping around the market because there's other teams that we can see where his potential is seven years in because I just don't know um, if the Vikings really fully tapped into it. But this is a much bigger loss for the Vikings than Jarek McKinnon, who got an incredible, incredible Mm -hmm. deal. His agent, uh, Jared Fox, killed it in free agency. I mean, I don't think that it was Mike McCartney level of, you know, being able to get Kirk Cousins, Trevor Simeon package deal, Josh McCown, Elodie Ngata, like all these different places um, and big deals too. But to me, that, you know, the four-year $30 million deal that he got, and he's going to be so fun in Kyle Shanahan's Mm -hmm. offense. They're going to spread the ball around, do with him what they couldn't do with uh, Carlos Hyde. You know, good for Jarek McKinnon. That that is a loss because I would have really liked to have seen – what that backfield would have developed like with once Dalvin, you know, once they realized he needed to start pumping the brakes on him a little bit more last year. Uh, but in, in where Latavius Murray and where Dalvin, where Jarek McKinnon would have fit into that mix. But I think that you kind of have a little bit of the best of both worlds going forward with both keeping that Murray cook backfield together because you have an explosive do it all guy in Dalvin cook. He's going to take up those, uh, you know, those carries that you get right at the goal line. But Latavius is a really good number two and a really good role player. He fits better into a role than I think, you know, and I think Jarek McKinnon could potentially, this could be a great spot where he gets more carries. I think Latavius's role is fine right now because, you know, I saw in a year, but, you know, two years before in Oakland, um, his Pro Bowl year was the year he was the lead back and he got hurt and he was, you know, struggling there coming into the preseason. This is the perfect spot for him. Um, you know, it's just, just, but the, but the McKinnon and Wright kind of bringing it back to that, it's all collateral damage of, of free agency. I think he is a perfect fit McKinnon with San Francisco because Kyle Shanahan knows how to use playmakers and where we really saw look at, that, look at what he did with, within Atlanta with Devonte Freeman and Tevin Coleman. I mean, that is that type of back. Yeah. Tevin Coleman is a, a really good comparison for Jarek because he isn't an every down guy, mm-hmm. which I don't think that Jarek is, but when he mixed in, he was averaging, I think over 10 yards a catch when he was in. And I would even extend that to their use of Taylor Gabriel, who was an undersized guy out of the slot, but they ran with him. They threw a lot of screens to him. And where Jarek is pretty good is actually when he lines up in the slot, they just didn't seem to use him that way very often. If he hadn't been a free agent, I think it would have made a lot of sense for the Vikings to keep all three of them to still have Jarek line up in the slot or have two running backs back there. And I would even like to see that this year. If Delvin stays healthy and you have Latavius too, that sometimes you have both guys on the field. Uh, If you were to give me the choice, though, between whether to keep Latavius or Jarek, 
I probably would have said Jarek because he is a more versatile, versatile player. True. And I think he does a lot of the same things that Latavius does, like blocking for one. I, th- I, th- I think I, he's a great he's pass a blocker. blocker. Yeah. Absolutely. But I mean, I just, I mean, I never thought of that as an option uh, because same. I knew he was yeah. a free agent. But I get what you're saying. I think that he does contribute a lot more in the explosive game, which was kind of interesting. I mean, the way that those are defined, explosive runs and explosive pass plays, I think the Vikings kind of have, what what did Rick say at the combine? They kind of have their own formula for... I think they went with like more than 12. 12? Okay, yeah. so Latavius had, I think, 16 of those. They kind of get lost. With Latavius, I mean, you don't think... When you talk explosive plays in the run game... I think you're looking more at Jarek McKinnon doing what he did in Chicago, um, doing what he did in Atlanta. And I mean, Latavius obviously set up a lot of that in Detroit and Atlanta. It was, let's go to Latavius in, even in that Saints game to get the Jarek McKinnon touchdown where Riley Reef just mauled whomever that was. I mean, that's great offensive line. That's why you pay offensive linemen. Um, I digress. Uh, But no, I mean, those, I always thought you'd associate that word more with Jarek McKinnon than you would Latavius Murray, but it's very clear to me why they value Latavius Murray so much. And take a look at the history there. John Filippo had him in Oakland the year that he was the quarterback's coach out there. Um, I believe it was Latavius' first year in the league when he was still working with Derek Carr. Mm-hmm. They know each other. He wanted him back here. He wanted to be able to you know, be familiar with guys that he's already worked with once before and I just think, you know, the sky is the limit for Dalvin Cook, but they know that they can't risk another injury like this. He's, I mean, it's a knee injury and it's a running back. I mean, that to me shows you that, yes, you're going to have to you're going to almost kind of have to pull pull the leash on Dalvin a little bit, because I think he's going to want to come out the gates and, you know, basically pretend this is week five of last year, picking up where he left off. Um, but you got to be smart with it. And I think that if you have a guy like Latavius, who really is better in a trio of running backs and maybe that, you know, they draft somebody there in one of the later rounds, this is going to be a really good fit. And I think this backfield potentially could be better than it was last year. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you think that they will draft or maybe add somebody still in free agency? Because we are in the second wave here. This just sort of getting going and two names that are out there still that have been role players and have been pretty good. Uh, at catching the ball of the backfield, Charles Sims from Tampa Bay and J.D. McKissick from uh, Seattle. Both of those guys were effective. Where did Benny Cunningham go? Did he sign anywhere? I don't think he signed anywhere. He's another option. He was. He was when I was first looking at like available free agents. He was somebody for a cheaper price you mm-hmm. could potentially go out and get. Yeah, and a, and a good pass catcher mm-hmm. too. And, and I think that that's a good option with a running back to maybe get a proven guy there and not spend a draft pick on one since you've already got your franchise running back and you've got a veteran too. Unless you see someone in the later rounds that everybody passes on and you go, ah, well, that guy could be pretty special and everyone sort of ignored him like a uh, Jordan Howard, for mm-hmm. example, who was a fifth round pick. Also the running back Aaron Jones from, uh, I think he was TCU. And then he ended up with the Packers and ended up being yeah. p- pretty explosive running back. Unless you see one of those guys th- that's really talented and might have a high ceiling that you want as your number three, you probably want to spend your draft assets elsewhere. Uh, but they definitely need that number three type of guy, I think, uh, to fill this out because I think trios are where it's at. I mean, I think as many playmakers as you could possibly have that you want. And even though this team on, on offense has the two great wide receivers and the great running back, the rest is still kind of just up in the air outside of Latavius Murray with 
They didn't get Trey Burton, and he was overpaid probably, but uh, would have been a great second tight end to go along with Kyle Rudolph. And now they let Jarius Wright go. I think that there's a lot of work to still be done in filling out these playmakers around Kirk Cousins. And what you expect out of Filippo's West Coast background that he's going to bring here. And I think what the Eagles have done better probably than most teams, incorporating a lot of those college spread concepts into this, you're going to, you need playmakers. Let's put as many out there, obviously within the realm of 11 guys, but you know, Get guys in space and, and do some more unconventional things. Get your running backs involved in the passing game, which the Vikings finally were able to do last year, and it really worked out that that depth factor. You're set at your starter with your starters across the board. I think that's fair to say, but I start looking at the I start looking at the wide receiver position. Okay, well that number three role is going to be so critical. What if Laquan Treadwell doesn't grab it? What if Stacy Coley isn't ready yet? And what if those options don't pan out? Then you look at your tight ends. I mean, you have, I, I you know I think you need a different type of as we talked about before. I think you need a different type of hybrid tight end um, to complement what Kyle Rudolph brings to the table. And you have David Morgan, but to me that's there's still room for growth there. Your offensive line. Right now, as it stands, that's your number one draft need. So you better knock it out of the park there in the draft. And then with the running backs, as you said, you have your franchise guy, you have Latavius Murray, but then what? So even, you know, that that stretches across the board and and on defense, too. They won free agency. There's no doubt about that. I think that they are arguably, you know, the top finishers in free agency, if not in the top three. But there are still those questions that you have with the reserves and how your backups are going to be able to age your team um, outside of the quarterback position. I think that every, everywhere else has reasonable, reasonable question mark around it, that this is not complete yet. Is a tight end, the sneaky potential number 30 overall pick. Yeah. I was going to ask you what you, if you think, I mean, if, I tend to think that that's a draft need. I mean, you're, you're not going to get it now. I mean, you, just like you're not going to go get a receipt. The slot receivers in this group right now in free agency is nothing to call home about. It's not great. I don't know if it would be a number 30 pick. I think that I could potentially see a safety there. Uh, that would be my other sneaky outside of a guard. Uh, certainly should be, you know, top two, you know, top two or three. Because the, the guard class is so deep that it's yeah. possible you could get one in the second round and have that guy be a starter. That's kind of asking a lot, but it's just how guards tend to work in the draft that we saw even Pat Elfline being a center slash guard. He ends up going in the third round and is a top starter in the league right away, and I, I think that happens a lot. Um, I would put tight end up there. For one, just because you'd love to have another weapon and finally get someone who could go down the field a little bit without trying to just take big swings in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, as they have over the last few years with Michael Pruitt and Bucky Hodges. I mean, those so Kyle, rarely, Where was Kyle Carter in the draft? He was undrafted. Okay. So, I mean, they, these guys are just so rarely working out, uh, even though they ran quick 40s and stuff. Uh, but if you're talking about um, someone like Dallas Goddard um, then maybe you're talking about a, a highly thought of prospect that you could bring in. And I don't know what the future is of Kyle Rudolph at that position, because this year he'll be on the team for sure. But then next year you're yeah, talking about $7 million cap hit. Yeah. Right. I mean, a big giant cap hit and also a guy that has perpetually battled injuries throughout his career, mostly healthy the last two years. But once you get to the end of the season, he's got another injury. And at this point, 
He's not really the vertical threat. He's basically a, a red zone guy who's been playing 90% of the snaps. To me, that's too much for him, and you'd much rather have three tight ends that could mix in. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a huge need. I just don't know. I mean, to be honest, I don't I don't know what the strength of that tight end class. I mean, you, sh- you could definitely get somebody at 30, but your number one priority has to be guard depth. Right, because totally. We, we don't know. I mean, we're still waiting on word of what Joe Berger is going to do if he's going to retire. I had seen something that he was... After some visits, I guess there's drawing some interest from some other teams, and the Lions were one of them, and maybe Chicago that um, he was leaning towards retiring. So then, you know, they they tender Nick Easton. They have to, you know, pretty es- essentially let Jeremiah Searles go unless they can match the offer that he gets uh, from wherever he left Carolina without signing. So that what does that mean then? Well, where's Mike Remmers going to go? That's still kind of the the cog in all of this. Is he going back to right tackle? Or are you going to keep him at guard? Because either way, I think Billy Price should be the number one person that you're looking at right now. And you, infeasibly, you should be able to get him at 30. I mean, he he thinks he's a center in the NFL. It's what he said at the Combine. But, I, I mean, you're not replacing Pat Elfline. And, I mean, why not put the guy that was with him next to him for a number of years at Ohio State, why not put him there at right guard? I haven't watched much on Billy Price yet. Um, but I have watched Will Hernandez. Mm-hmm. And I have watched Isaiah Wynn. And these guys are both really good. And what, what that tells me is this is a good class that they're being talked about. It's a pretty good tackle class, too. I mean, all things considered that, you know, yeah, tackles don't pan out right away. Um, if you can get a guy like Connor Williams, I mean, I know Colton Miller has kind of cooled mm-hmm. a little bit, but Williams' stock is continuing to, to rise, the kid out of Texas depending upon what you're going to do, what Tony Sperano finds is the best combination for that zone blocking scheme. I think you have options there at 30, which is why I don't necessarily see, I mean, that's why I said safety. If they could get Derwin James or somebody like that, um, that would be the only other sleeper pick, but your offensive line, I mean, there's ways to do this in the draft and that has to be, you know, as they go out of this, you know, second wave of free agency at the end of the week, that has to be what you're leaning towards. Yeah, Connor Williams is a guy to watch, I think, mm-hmm. because uh, he might be a guard, but he might be a tackle. Sometimes we hear it too mm-hmm. quickly. Teams say, well, his arms are too short, but he's a really good athlete, and this team wants really good athletes on the front. I, I don't think that they want just big, giant guys. I think that they want mobility and quickness, well, and yeah, Williams brings that. He that's seems- what they had last year, and I mean, that's such a huge part of why they were so good on screens and why they were you know, able to get downfield and block, and I think that there's there's ways to remedy that again. And I honestly think, I mean, we talk about the offensive line, oh, it was a huge priority last offseason. It's a huge priority every offseason because those guys are going to need to block for Kirk Cousins, your potential lifetime deal guy that Rick Spielman called, um, and he needs to be protected. I mean, he takes some hits. I mean, that's one thing that they have in him that they have not had from any other quarterback is durability. Um, but I do think that you need to make sure that offensive line is is there every step of the way with him. Sean Hill had great durability. I don't know what you mean. Sam Bradford had good durability that first game. Yeah, that first game. And, and Case had good durability. Yeah, Case he, he did. got knocked out, knocked around. I mean, he's elusive. He was you know good on his feet, so he was able to avoid some of those hits. But Kirk Cousins takes hits, man. So the funny thing was with Sean Hill that. Um, there were people arguing after Bridgewater got hurt that they should just stick with Sean Hill because his career numbers weren't too bad, which is true. But after the first game that he played against Tennessee and won, he uh, 
was limited in practice the next day with arm soreness. Because he was old. I mean, that yeah, was just was- the funniest <laughs> argument to me was they shouldn't have traded for Bradford. They should have just stuck with Sean Hill, whose arm hurt after playing <laughs> a single game. Yeah, I'm sure he'll last 16 with uh, TJ Clemmings and Jeremiah Searles at the tackles. Gosh. You know, after all of those changes that went along the offensive line because of injuries. So that would have worked out well. This is the hindsight podcast. So, Oh, man. That's, that is certainly one for, uh, for the summertime. I think we have a lot of those that we can do in the summertime. And I'm really looking forward to like after we get through OTAs and once we kind of know what this roster looks like out of free agency, um, we can start predicting contract extensions and what they're going to look like even more so than we're doing now. Uh, but really going back, I can't wait for our 2017, truth 2017 hindsight, yes. retrospect 2020, what the heck were they doing on, on such and such play uh, to happen. So... Yeah, I think that's gonna that's gonna do it for us today because okay. we're, we're we've just had enough. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I have to do a radio. Well, you go do your radio interview, okay. and uh, we will talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening to the Purple Podcast.